This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me today to discuss climate crisis-related mental health harm is Dr. Lise Van Susteren, a DC-based general and forensic psychiatrist and co-founder of Climate Psychiatry and Climate Psychology Alliance. Dr. Van Susteren, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, David. Uh, Dr. Van Susteren's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background... Very early on a Saturday in April 2018, or two weeks after the Trump administration's EPA announced it would repeal Obama-era rules further limiting vehicle emissions, David Buckle, a nationally known gay rights attorney and founder of a sustainable gardening business, walked into Brooklyn's Prospect Park, trenched a small circle, sat in it, poured gasoline over himself, and set himself afire. In his suicide note to the New York Times EPA reporter and others, Buckle wrote, Pollution ravages our planet, oozing inhabitability via air, soil, water, and weather. He stated further, most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels, and many die early deaths as a result. My early death by fossil fuel reflects what we are doing to ourselves, close quote. Though certainly tragic, to some extent at least, Mr. Buckle's decision was unsurprising. For example, a climate crisis survey published last September with 10,000 16 to 25-year-old respondents across 10 countries, including the U.S., found 75% thought the climate crisis posed a frightening future, 66% were left afraid, anxious, or sad, 60% very or extremely worried about global warming, and 56% thought Humanity is doomed. Concerning government's responses, 65% of the survey agreed governments were failing them, 64% agreed governments were lying about climate crisis-related impacts, and 60% agreed they were dismissing people's distress. It is worth noting, finally, suicides in the U.S. have increased by 33% overall since the turn of the century, and by twice this percent for 10 to 24-year-olds. Today, suicides are a leading cause of death in the U.S. Again with me to discuss climate crisis-related mental health issues is Dr. Lise Van Susteren. So that is an introduction somewhat lengthy. Uh, Let me start with, obviously, the clinical. Um, I believe in 2017, the American Psychological Association began to use the term eco-anxiety. So let's start with it. Uh, How is that described, and how does it manifest? David, Uh, People ask me that question often as the springboard Mm -hmm. to a discussion, and they'll say eco-anxiety, eco-grief, climate anxiety, eco-distress, etc. And, well, it really is not uh, something that's very complicated. We all know what climate is. We all know what anxiety is. We all know eco refers to ecology and generally the environment. So... It is simply our anxiety about uh, the conditions, climate disruption generally, and it can take many different forms. Uh, That anxiety that we feel about what we've been hearing uh, can manifest itself uh, as as outrage, 
uh, primarily, or e- even anger, uh, fear, uh, despair. There are many ways that it can manifest itself, but it's a, a grab bag, catch all uh, kind of term that encompasses a very broad range of sentiments about uh, climate and climate disruption. Okay, thank you. In my uh, research, per your noting, the, the, the variables uh, tra- uh, trauma and shock, PTSD, anxiety, depression, aggression, substance abuse, reduced feelings of autonomy, control, helplessness, et cetera, fa- uh, fatalism, fear. And on and on and on. Um, let me. Uh, well, let, let, let me interrupt one sure, please, second. Please. Those those are clinical disorders: PTSD, generalized right. anxiety, major depression, etc. I hasten to underscore that that is uh, those are um, emotions and mixed with potentially other factors that create an actual clinical disorder. But the anger that we feel, the outrage, the fear, the despair, mm-hmm. underscore that those are normal and, in fact, desirable sentiments to have, given what the science tells us. Mm-hmm. So uh, the real disorder here is climate denial disorder. But uh, focusing then on what those emotions can do when they are um, pushed through so many other experiences that we might have, maybe genetic issues, maybe personal experiences that might lead to post-traumatic stress disorder, etc. That's when those emotions can become a disorder, and we call it a pathology. So we go from something which we normalize, which are the emotions, those are normal, Mm -hmm. uh, and we can use those, to what becomes a clinical disorder and may require some help. Okay, that's... And by help, I mean professional help, not just uh, help from each other or uh, some other uh, sort of uh, minor intervention. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, in fact, I, I might circle back to uh, climate denial disorder because huh. when you said that, I thought, boy, if that's not epidemic uh, amongst federal policymakers... Um, I, I noted. I'm sure you're very familiar with the with the um, the case I noted in the intro, uh, David Buckle. Um, so I, I noted it, you know, because obviously I was well aware. In fact, you probably know the New York Times wrote several pieces on this uh, that spring. So I did want to ask you. I'm sure you're very familiar with this case. What what was your response to this? You know, uh, David, I actually had sent a letter uh, to the editor of the New York Times about the David Buckle uh, incident, a suicide, and they published it. And so you'll find it if you go oh, digging. I will, yes. Somebody will. But the here's what uh, should be looked at, and that is, number one, any suicide is the result of complex forces. So it would be um, uh, a rather, um, I think, shallow assessment for a mental health professional to say, but for climate, David Buckle never would have killed himself. Mm -hmm. That said, we all know that there are certain things which can serve as a trigger. So let's say a marriage breaking up, um, getting fired from a job, uh, any number of things can serve as a trigger to the potentially already laid foundation that will cause a person or bring a person to come to the brink of such a dramatic event. Now, that doesn't 
um, in any way minimize how deadly uh, and how problematic the forces are swirling around us that are going to affect people over the long term and serve as triggers that could increase the self-destructive acts that could yield um, a rising rate of suicide. And I don't like to say that because there's always a sense of self-fulfilling prophecy that Mm -hmm. you're giving an okay, especially when young people hear this. I don't mind so much talking to adults about this, but uh, for young people where peer pressure and the decisions that others are making weigh so heavily or so forcefully on them, I usually try to put the brakes on that. But uh, we are entering, or we're already self-destructive with our behaviors, and once the sense of hope that the future is going to be vastly different, meaning healthier, where we bring about remedies, um, it's it's treacherous. It's treacherous terrain. Okay, thank you. Um, since this is a, a policy-focused uh, podcast, um, I do want to ask about. I noted uh, this term eco-anxiety uh, in my reading was somewhat formalized in 2017 by the APA. This this pathology, let's call it that here for this question, is not formally identified. Obviously, I'm going to the DSM-5 question. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe, I, maybe that's I'm, your answer. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. All Just right. getting ready. Well, where, where's, where's the field? Where's the profession okay. on this relative to so, formalizing... All right. So you are, uh, or the listeners, I am embroiled at this very moment with an attempt to rectify what is a grievous omission in the uh, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual uh, 5 revised, uh, which just released information today Related to, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds because people won't remember or need this necessarily, but we have a formulation which gives official clinical disorders and conditions. And then we have something uh, called the V-codes, which are sort of ancillary conditions which can affect those clinical disorders and conditions. And then we have recently a push to include what are referred to as social determinants of health, and that can be uh, racial issues, it can be gender, and of course, uh, it can be the impact of uh, climate disruption, fires, floods, storms, uh, what I've dubbed pre-traumatic stress conditions, etc. Unbelievably, the two forces. One is that we wanted to make those V-codes not something which is just a reference uh, to add on, tack on as needed, but to make it part of the clinical record in a formalized way. I've been fighting for that and trying to write up a paper that would assure that today. And uh, in addition, unbelievably, despite pressure, uh, the group that did the work to uh, the on the revision, which comes at a a snail's pace of like once every 10 years or so, did not include climate uh, as a a factor in the social determinants of mental health. And of course, we know that it is, but what it does drive home to us is how institutions can be so painfully 
um, slow to respond to uh, uh, changes on the ground. And frankly, in 2009, I invited the, uh, the American Psychiatric Association to participate in the first conference on climate and mental health that I know of. The Climate Psycholo- American Psychological Association came, but Psychiatric Association has been very slow to respond. They're picking up a little bit of speed, but we know that we don't really have the luxury of time. And so I'm, you're, you're hearing the, the fire and ire um, uh, of my work on this very day, responding to the, uh, what I would describe as inaction uh, and denial of the mm-hmm. uh, danger. Okay, thank, thank you, uh, candid answer. I appreciate it. So my follow-up is, and, and I see this uh, in my work in other uh, uh, fields of medicine, and uh, and certainly on the business side, there's a certain, particularly on the business side, a pronounced inertia on this. Um, my my question for you, though, is particularly because this is increasingly time sensitive. And in fact, I'm sure you were the IPCC report oh. out a week or two ago. The secretary, you know, the secretary general, I give him credit. Gutierrez has been very blunt about where we are with this problem, and of course, he termed it, and it was widely quoted. When the report came out, all 3,500 pages, uh, an atlas of human suffering. I mean, that's what he termed, um, so how, that's how he summarized the report. So the evidence is increasingly overwhelming, but what do you think explains, uh, and let's limit to say the professional associations, let's leave aside say the trade associations, but why are specialists or specialties in the medical profession so slow to come around to this? So, yeah, let's talk about Code Red for Humanity, which is what Antonio Guterres referred to the IPCC report as. So uh, bureaucracies and the American Psychiatric Association, along with many other institutions, uh, has a whole range of personalities running it. And and I've been a psychiatrist long enough to know that people have different temperament styles. We've got people who are ready to ring the alarm bell and uh, start... uh, um, actions and protests and activities and right policies and stuff. And then there are people who kind of assure that those policies and other things are enacted, and that's a slower process. So, yeah, we've got to recognize people have different temperament styles. And whether you're working alone or working in a bureaucracy, um, we, do need each, we do need each other. The person who works alone needs to have a platform. Uh, platforms need people who sound the alarm. But I, um, the thing that uh, I go back to all the time in looking at the uh, slowness of the response is that basically, and this is true of all of us, whether we're professionals or just people not in the mental health professional field, people do not want to believe that things are as serious as they are. It is just out of the realm of our experience. So if you've been uh, in a wildfire, let's say, and the sheriff comes and says you've got to evacuate, you know, you're probably not going to fight with them that much because mm-hmm. uh, you know that it can happen. You have these experiences. But, but people do not necessarily have the temperament style to overcome the wish to believe that we're going to be safe. And here's the other issue that, and I do think that is the fault of the messengers in part, 
and that is that people do not understand tipping points. They do not realize that it isn't uh, 2030, half our emissions by uh, uh, Mm -hmm. 2030 compared to 2005 or bust. They don't understand that we are approaching uh, temperatures that will pull our ability to remedy the situation out of our hands. And uh, then it's it's all pretty much a fait accompli, and we get what we get. So we got to do a better job of saying, look at how every bit of temperature rise gets us closer to the breaking point. You're right. I'll just throw in, I'm sure you're well aware, this is Hansen's comment about scientific reticence. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. On tipping cascades, you know, some research shows we've already engaged 9 of 15. Uh, we're we're pretty far down the road on this, unfortunately. Uh, of course, 90% of the problem is estimated to be historical emissions, which re- refers to our carbon budget, but we can go on. Um, you know, I will say, per your point about the sheriff uh, example, you know, there are now weather forecasts, say when a, a Category 5, for example, hurricane, etc., where the forecast literally says that this weather event is, quote-unquote, unsurvivable. I mean, I've actually seen forecasts that say it's it. This is unsurvivable. That's the word that's used. Unsurvivable weather. I mean, it's pretty um, shocking. Last on this is the APA, and maybe not to pick on the APA, maybe to pick on the World Health Organization. This gets at um, the reticence of the medical community to argue for a quote unquote climate emergency. You've heard a lot about this. Biden was urged to do this continues to be urged to do this. He obviously is not going to do this. World Health Organization isn't seemingly getting there. Um, this this is just the manifestation per your explanation, correct? It is the manifestation really of fear. Uh, and one of the reasons that people don't want to get vaccinated is because they, uh, curiously, uh, they feel more fearful, more vulnerable if they admit that they could get sick and die. So if they get vaccinated, this is, doesn't necessarily have to make rational sense because humans are not entirely rational right. by any means. Uh, and we do have that cognitive part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that has judgment and analysis and reason and, and, uh, and memory, etc. But then we got the whole back side of the brain, the limbic system, which is just a whole mass of reactions that might be full of biases, unconscious drivers, etc. We, we're not behind the wheel the way that we think we are. So people do things and we tend to deny sometimes something which is particularly scary if we can't figure out something that we can do personally or collectively that will have uh, an effect. So it's what we call the, um, the bystander effect. We've seen it with social psychology. If you see something unfolding and even though it's an emergency, you can't figure out what to do, you'll just stand there, the classic was the Kitty Genovese stabbing right, yes, in New York City yes, yes. in 1964. But if the, uh, the studies show that if you say, well, yeah, we've got this immediate threat, an emergency, but, quote, here's what you can do about it, then people say, oh, all right, well, I'll let then that anxiety penetrate my psyche because I can allow it in. I know I can lower it by taking this particular action. So one of our problems has been the messaging, which says, 
oh my God, this really bad thing can happen or will happen or is it is happening. But people aren't saying, call this number to get yourself some solar panels or call <laughs> this number to join Citizens Climate Lobby or something else. Now, you will notice now when you hear about a suicide, a celebrity suicide, they have changed from simply reporting that someone has killed himself or herself, and they will add if someone you know or love uh, has feelings of suicide or hopelessness, call this number. So they have picked up on that two-part messaging, which is absolutely critical. Here's the problem. Here's what we can do about it. It doesn't have to be the end-all solution, but it must be what it shows an individual can be done. Otherwise, we'll say, can't happen to me. Right, right. Suicide breeds suicide. Um, Per your point um, about our brain, you reminded me, I'm sure you know the E.O. Wilson comment about we have paleolithic brains, but uh, space-age technology and middle-age institutions um, uh, sort of characterize our problem. I do want to give you time. I did in the introduction note, you're the co-founder of these organizations, so I do want to give you time to talk about their work and what they do. This cl- Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, we're very proud of our work. It's actually two organizations. Correct. One is the Climate Psychiatry Alliance. Um, people will laugh, but and they may understand well. Uh, at first, I didn't understand it, but now I get it. Uh, and the Climate Psychology Alliance North America. Uh, we thought we were going to be one big kumbaya uh, group working together, but people being people, uh, it didn't. It wasn't the Norman Rockwell uh, experience that we were initially envisioning, and the, the, neither group wanted to work with the other, is what it amounts to. So we've now played to our strengths and to our differences, and what we have is a collaborative approach on a number of joint projects. And we're very proud of them. And I'll rattle off some of them. Please. Uh, and uh, the, uh, one of them is that we have put together what's called the Climate Aware Therapist Directory. Uh, I was getting calls from people all over the country looking for help. Uh, and people would say, when I would encourage them to see a therapist where they lived, that their therapists were suggesting that their climate anxieties were actually related maybe to work-related or family problems or something from early childhood. So we put together a climate-aware therapist directory so people could get uh, to therapists who would be able to help them with their issues. And now it's become a springboard for other um, uh, avenues, which include Speakers Bureau. And what we're is, um, now that we're looking for is a, a climate hotline that we're hoping will be uh, will staff with the climate-aware therapists and others. And the climate hotline, uh, which we don't yet have going, but it, it's a great number, 888-330-3131. And people will be able to call and talk with someone if they do feel as if they're, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, to put it in layman's ter- terms, losing it. Uh, and that might just be that they want to know what they can do. So we'll, we're doing that. We also um, have about 60 groups that have... Uh, endorsed a call for a hearing uh, in the hill, on the hill, in uh, a climate and mental health with special focus on children, and we're going to be reaching out to state legislatures to uh, request hearings there as well, uh, and uh, we have uh, a number of other activities. One is uh, what's called an ecopsychopedia. People will be able to go 
to an online source that's not behind a paywall, and they will be able to get a, uh, a full uh, several pages of uh, both um, layman's uh, discussion of the issues and a very sophisticated uh, a response uh, to the issues as people progress with their reading. So that's a sampling. Uh, we're also pushing our organizations every day to do more, and we're speaking and reaching out to various groups, district branches of uh, mental health organizations to speak to our colleagues because, you know, really – Mental health professionals are going to be at the epicenter of what is needed in the future to deal with a society that is going to be struggling with some very broad uh, and deep challenges. Okay, thank you. Very helpful. I, I do want uh, sort of to pick up on um, this effort. I, I'd be remiss. Most people understand while while uh, climate crisis-related health harms are, are innumerable and unrelenting, you know, vector-borne diseases, uh, zoonotic, et cetera, all, all this. Um, most people understand this by uh, weather disaster events. Um, uh, since we're getting into the hurricane season, you're probably well aware, uh, last year we didn't have a record, but we had $21 billion or more uh, weather disaster events. You know, I just recalled uh, Hurricane, I think it was Ida last year, the 11 uh, individuals in, I think we're over in Queens, New York, drowning in their basements. I mean, mm. I mean it just, this, this goes on and on. Um, relative to post-weather disaster, um, you talked about a, a, an 888 number. Uh, what services are there? And you probably, you know, the statistics about suicide post-Katrina, you know, this goes on. Um, what might you advise relative to individuals who uh, survive a a weather disaster? Yeah. Well, uh, going from being a bystander, the magic sauce is going from being a bystander to what uh, is um, we've referred to and it was used initially to address bullying, but being uh, going from a bystander to being an upstander. And an upstander is a person who takes action, and that action certainly we can – I – refer to, for me, the three Ps, personal, professional, and political. And personally, uh, it's making sure that your own carbon footprint uh, is as clean and and as low as it can possibly be with offsetting what you can't uh, reduce. Mm -hmm. And uh, staying away from the high carbon emission activities, like, you know, nobody likes me for saying this, but let's face it, it's uh, airplane travel, travel, right? Yes, exactly. uh, and, And what we eat. So there's that going to uh, a carbon uh, a calculator uh, and seeing where we can make a big difference. Uh, but there is a magic sauce, and that is uh, going from what we do individually to to taking action collectively. That's where we get that sense of uh, it's transformative, and the neuroscience backs it up. I'm not going to get into it, but. Uh, it is. Uh, it shows that our not only our reward centers, but opioid receptor sites in our brains are activated when we are involved in collective action. And that collective action can be a group that you belong to, or that you start yourself, and you all engage in a cleanup of the river, or you engage in uh, uh, an activity that is pro-social in some other way to address. 
uh, climate issues. Or in my case, it's often, and this is the, the P, the professional part, is I work with colleagues uh, to bring messages uh, that are uh, involve sustainable behaviors uh, wherever I can be listened to and can, and can get a mic. And then third of all, let's not forget, uh, we need uh, where the sausage is, is being made is politically. And if we don't get the kind of representation that we need uh, from people who understand the problem, uh, then we're uh, always going to be behind the eight ball because it's policy change upstream attention that yields the downstream impact uh, that we so sorely need. So get out there. This is an election period. Uh, We need people knocking on doors and making sure people get registered to vote. Great. Thank you. Relative to uh, young Americans, uh, you you remind me of the Sunrise uh, Movement, Extinction Rebellion, et cetera, other organizations. Uh, Absolutely. Um, We're at about our time. Um, we did get at this somewhat, but I do want to uh, uh, land on this question appropriately as my last, and that's specific to, again, what advice would you offer those experiencing symptoms? Uh, you know, this is the, the technical suicide ideation, uh, those individuals considering suicide. You, again, you mentioned the 3131 number. Um, there are, of course, obviously suicide hotline numbers, et cetera, um, but again, okay. per my opening, we have a increasing st- stats on on people taking their lives. Yeah. All right. So first of all, that number is not active. Correct. Yet. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I underscore that. Uh, and the second thing is that people need to hear again that being upset about climate issues is not a pathology. This is a reasonable response mm-hmm. to what we know the science is telling us. So. Don't think of yourself as an oddball or outlier. Uh, You're among the enlightened. Grab hold of the energy that's embedded in these very powerful emotions and redirect them into constructive action. That's resilience. And you can find other people that will help you with that. So join a group, start a group, uh, et cetera. If you are in very choppy water, if you feel as if uh, it's getting the best of you, Look up climate aware therapists, um, and uh, you can certainly also. I'm always available. Maybe you can share my email uh, if you want, uh, David. I would be happy to steer people in the right direction if they feel that they're getting overwhelmed. And uh, then you need attention because if you are getting overwhelmed, you're just the person we need because you are enlightened uh, and you're going to fight uh, for this because you know what it's like to suffer. And it's people with the imagination, in other words, the empathy to recognize what we need to do for each other that is so critical. So we need you. Well, great. Great final uh, message or comment. Uh, certainly appropriate. So with that, Dr. Vince Hustrin, I, I really do appreciate your comments. I will post as many references, uh, resources as I can here. So thank you for that reminder. And with that, I say thank you again. Thank you. Do I have time for one sure, more absolutely, comment? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to borrow a line from former Vice President Al Gore, who has borrowed a line from a famous economist, and I might not be saying it uh, letter perfect, but the uh, to address that feeling sometimes of despair, which is a legitimate response even among all the other emotions that we have, and that is that things take longer 
to change than we ever thought they would. And then they change faster than we ever could have imagined. So we need to keep on keeping on pushing, forcing, cajoling, insisting, demanding, etc., putting our shoulder to other people's shoulders because it may very well be, as they say, it's always darkest before the dawn. We may be very much, not only are we near climate tipping points, I think we're near social tipping points. And that means that the, cult, the culture can transform itself. Uh, and we will be there, I, I hope, to see that happen. I hope as well. Thank you again. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.